the Hello Customer Podcast. Intimate business conversations with founders and executives from top brands, sharing how they deliver extraordinary customer experience. Hosted by the girl who gets it done, Esprit Devorah. Each season, a different industry. Season one highlights fashion, Zappos, Levi's, Element, Osiris, Volcom, MeUndies, and more. Get ready for an epic audio journey. Welcome back to the Hello Customer Podcast, one of my favorite brands for years and years and years and years. Osiris is on the episode with us. We have Brian Reed, founder of Osiris. It's absolutely amazing. I'm excited for him to get in to how he created the brand, why customer experience is so important to him, and how he thinks outside the box with everything that he does. Go for it. Well, first of all, it's an honor to be on your show, one. And two, um, getting into how I created the brand, I didn't do it myself. I actually have uh, four partners, and it's Doug Weston, Tony Chen, Laura Kim, and Tony Magnuson. So we all did it together. I was uh, 20 years ago, I was just a young lad fresh off of uh, being a barista. Uh, I made coffee and I skateboarded and I definitely had a great team that believed in me and we believed in each other and no one does anything themselves. In my opinion, everyone always has help. So I can't take all the credit. That is for sure. It takes a community to make, to make anything great, right? Right. Well, you know, you, you know, if, in, in my opinion, a great team makes great product, you know, so if I said I did everything by myself, I'd be lying. You know, um, having a great person in marketing, a great person in sales, input from everyone. I remember when I first started, I would just consume it all myself. It's mine, and now it's like, hey, it's ours. So yes, I started off as a designer, but some designers hold it in. I like to just let everyone enjoy the experience. Tell me about Osiris. Like, what for those of the those people that, who don't know what Osiris is? What is Osiris? Because most of the world, I feel, knows. I mean, I I was hanging out with my friend uh, from Germany the other night. He's like, "Oh my gosh, I wore those when I was a kid." <laughs> um, so I feel like uh, if you don't know who Osiris is, you've been living uh, inside a box. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me bring him on outside the box. So Osiris started in 1996, as I, as I mentioned previously, myself, Doug Weston, Tony Magnuson, and Tony Chen. Uh, there was a previous skateboard company, and we decided that uh, there was a lull in the shoe area where it was pretty inside the box. It was pretty boring, and nothing was really new happening, you know? Um, so we decided to start a company, and we wanted to not call it, you know, like Kicks, K, you know, uh, an abbreviation for kicks or kicks or anything that was out there. We didn't want to have an A like Airwalk or D like DC, D for DVS. So Osiris actually was something outside the box in itself in the fact that the what the name is and what it stood for. And what it stood for was it uh, protects us in the afterlife, a little bit like the Egyptian mythology about Osiris was the protector of the afterlife. But before Wikipedia and all that fun stuff, Osiris was supposed to be this cool company that goes on forever. And one day someone was going to ask what that was. And hopefully they realized that it was some great people behind it. So that's where Osiris came from um, almost 20 years ago. I love it. And not many brands uh, are around for 20 years. So I mean, this is amazing. Yeah. And, and 20 years, I will tell you this is, I believe every company has a honeymoon period. 
you know, the first five years, it's, it's usually the great time because you're new, you're exciting. And I, I believe your friend from Germany, like you, something grabbed my ear, which I get a lot is I wore those when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. And I think, and, and the funny thing is, I think we've always make shoes for kids and, um, I myself grow my, my partners grew, you know, we're 20 years older than we started. I was 20. Now I'm 40. Right. And I still always have to think like a 16 year old kid, you know what I mean? To, in order to, to create a 16 year old kid's product, because I don't, I don't make hipster shoes for me. I tried. I, well, Cyrus makes a variety of shoes, but where we thrive is we make shoes for kids that skate or kids that grow want to look like they skate or grow up in the streets or want to look fresh when they go to school. And, and that's totally. the hardest thing is 20 years of that. A lot of brands yeah. can't keep a lot of, a lot of brands can't keep that, that, uh, that pizzazz, that juice, that, that uh, spark of life. And I feel that we've done a great job doing that over 20 years. And how do you stay so connected to the community to keep, to maintain that mindset and know what a 16 year old wants? Well, if I told you that, then everyone would do it. So I have to keep my <laughs> my uh, ideas to myself. No, um, honestly, what I what I like to do is I I still do the sport that I love, which is skateboarding. I love surfing, um, nice. action sports in general. Like, of course, I've graduated uh, into the fact that a lot of the sports I used to make fun of when I was a kid. Running, that's right. stupid. Uh, working out, that's dumb. Uh, skateboarding only. <laughs> You know, um, I've, I do those too. So I run now. I love swimming. As, as I've told you in previous personal conversations, I hurt my neck, uh, biking. I got hit by a truck and swimming actually helps it a lot. So I go swimming in the oceans with sharks and seals and cool fish and all that stuff. But, um, even though I've graduated outside and I have, I can take from that, you know, like the, the comfort of running shoes I could bring into, let's take the comfort of a running shoe and put it into an aesthetic of a skate shoe. So I think by still doing the sports that we started the company with, and that's how we can always stay connected and relevant because whether you're 16 or 40, if you love skateboarding or surfing, there's certain things that are cool and not cool and work and don't work. And I think that's how we stay fresh. Oh, no, I love it. I I definitely think we are who we believe we are, not, and it's not defined by a number. And so in just forever, it's like, you know, everybody's constantly looking for the fountain of youth and I just, it's within ourselves. (laughs) We just decide to be youthful, you know? And so I love that, that I love that you've never given up skating and you still stay true to, uh, to who you are on the inside, which is forever 16. (laughs) Yeah. um, Except except when you have to be a grown up. Like I know a few years ago you developed the, the shoe that uh, was good enough for the boardroom too, but you could still skate in, right? Right. Yeah. That was called the sophisticated. And, um, you know, I travel to Europe a lot and, you know, California and Europe are a lot different. One's a state, one's, one's a continent, whatnot. But like in California, it's cool to look like a skater and like you're 16 forever. But, you know, when you go into a foreign country and you're in you know, different areas, it's you're, you're looked and treated like how you look opposed right. to who you, who you could be or who you are. There's a time to dress up. Like I love dressing up cause I don't really get to do it. So I made these cool they're, they're sort of like street dress shoes, right? A little right. bit more on the hipster side. And uh, I think they're great. And I think they're awesome for a 40-year-old hipster dude, right? But yeah, did we sell them? Yeah, did we promo them? We probably promoed. That was probably the biggest promo shoe on, on, the, on the budget, right? 
was everyone wanted the sophistic because it was cool. It was different. You could dress up. You could actually still skate in it if you wanted to. But when a kid wants to skate, he doesn't want to buy that. So we sell crazy colored high tops to kids in the mall. So that's that's where we live and breathe as a company and as a, a corporation. Some of the shirts that I like to wear probably don't sell very well. Some of the shirts that I come right. up with sell great because I'm therefore that kid. I right, think right, right. Being who you are and still doing the sports that you want to do can make the product a great thing coming back to the product side, but you can't always interject your personal stuff onto a product if, if it doesn't fit. You can take from the good stuff that you do, but some of the other stuff doesn't relate to that kid, then you shouldn't put it in the product. Totally. I mean, how do you go? You're, you're a dominant, highly successful brand today, 20 years later, and most businesses can't even stay in business past five years, let alone one year. How do you go from 20 years ago, finding a team and knowing how to, I mean, you probably didn't know, but figuring out how to grow uh, what was to become a dominant global brand. How is that possible? Um, you know what? The, the way it's possible really is we started off with no great expectations. You know, nowadays when companies start, it's, well, we have to do this. You know, we need a three, a five and a seven year plan. We're going to have this much money. This is going to go marketing. These are the people we're going to attack. And these are the kids, the consumers that we're going to get. We're going to put this POP up in these stores. Like we just started. There was no expectations. And the team were actually handpicked by myself and uh, another business partner that skates. And they were actually mostly my friends. These are the people that right. I skated. They just so happened to be some of the best skateboarders in the world, but they were just my friends. We marketed them as the people that they were, that we knew. We just told the world like, hey, this is this guy's name. Look how great he is. But the original team were just friends. So you had a bunch of skaters and some surfers that were like, hey, we need some cool shoes. I had my friends and it just sort of happened. And I think that's shown in the product that it's real. It's, it's got input from the team and the streets, you know, Um, but to go for 20 years, like we went from like, Hey, these are my best friends. I actually live with some of them to, we came into a bigger company. So, um, I wasn't, I'm not going to say that it's easy to make that transition because it's been really hard. Um, especially with my personal friendships to go, Hey, you know, not everyone in skateboarding stays around for 20 years. That's an anomaly. Right. I don't even can't even say it. An anomaly, right? Um, you, know, <laughs> yeah. there, you know, but I think like people like Tony Hawk led the way of being an older skater. But a lot of the people that be, were part of a big part of our brand, you know, they mm-hmm. had to go find other things and move on in life. Um, right. Whether it was like, hey, I'm going to still skate and like, you know, now Instagram people care, but a lot of people didn't care at the time because you only had one outlet. So some of these people disappeared. Some people came cooks. Some people became shop owners. Uh, You know, some people actually did really great in real estate. So everyone sort of went, you know, they had to grow up and move on where the company is supposed to be 16 forever, right? As far as the kid we're going for. So we'd always have to get like new pros and I think this industry is always about young and who's next and who's new. And I think that we've done a great job with our team, making sure that we always had that next up and coming guy and always making sure that even though we make outside the box products that could be sold in malls, we take that mall money Mm -hmm. and we always give back to our backbone, which is skateboarding. So we've always maintained a good core team that I always feel represents us to the youth and speaks to the youth. 
how would you how are you able to figure out all the business logistics? Because one thing about the skate industry is the saying goes like when a skate person starts a skate company, they don't know how to actually run a business. And that's why they go out of business. And so what was different about how you did things? And I should say how you and your co-founders did things that you guys were able to build a respected brand that can't even be sold in malls because that that's close to impossible. Well, um, that, okay. So that's when it goes back to having a great team. Um, Doug Weston, my business partner, he's one of the mm-hmm. most naturally smart people that I know. So having him focus on the day-to-day business, why I'm out with the team and designing shoes, we're all mm-hmm. on the board, but these are the people that live and breathe the company on the daily. I have a great team, Brian Barber and logistics. Um, this guy, Jeremy, tech savvy people, Tony Magnuson, he was a former pro skater and he already had a company before. Tony Chen, my other partner, always focusing on the business. So we were almost built like a corporation, our foundation. And then we brought the mm-hmm. skateboard aspect into it. And were you all 20, 21 at the time when you started? No, I was the youngest guy for sure. So okay. uh, everyone's so it wasn't cool. like a bunch of 20 year olds that were like super prodigies. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this wasn't your uh, tech startup company by any means. You know, uh, <laughs> these were people that, um, you know, uh, Tony Chen's dad actually set up the foundation of the company. And Tony Chen's dad, actually, he's a renowned scientist, actually. I think he, be, he helped invent uh, the pregnancy test. So there was some, there was some, uh, yeah, no. And so it's a different type of thinking in business in the Asian culture is very important. So they had the company set up, right. You know, there is an accounting department, there was an accounts payable, there's shipping logistics, everything. Uh, So you had great mentorship, like amazing mentorship. Oh, most definitely. And I believe that everyone on the team has always loved what they do. And I think that's an important thing. Like Brian Barber, Mm -hmm. for example, he used to be a pro skateboarder. He got in on the accounting side and then later the logistics side of things. But I mean, he loves what he does. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that even if it's numbers, if you love numbers, then you're going to do a great job at it. You know? So I think we have people that love what they do. And I think that's important. And that's why I think we've done such a great job as our original business team is intact. Let's jump forward 20 years to today. And congratulations, 20-year anniversary. Yeah, like insane. It's Raise insane. The Raise the roof. <laughs> I'm raising. I'm, my hands are like going up right now. Mine too. <laughs> um, so uh, when it, when I share the word customer experience and uh, and then you respond, like we constantly think outside the box with everything that we do. What's that mean to you? Like, what does that look like physically? Thinking outside the box, what that looks like or, or what that means to me is I think that's the backbone of our company and it always has been. So when we got into footwear, we wanted to create product that you couldn't get anywhere else from anybody, right? So we made more of a fat, puffy tech skate shoe so that it was more hip hop oriented. And at that time, skate shoes looked very inside the box and very conformed. And there were certain things you could and could not do by breaking those rules we went outside the box and I think we created more of a community to the point where, you know, I'd be walking down the, the mall or in the mall, walking down, you know, one of the rows and then someone would come up and stop me and be like, Oh, where'd you get those? You know? And I'd be like, Oh, these, I got right. them over here. Or actually a 
I'm one of the partners in the company. I designed them and they're like, oh my God, that's crazy because I love those shoes and I've been rocking them for a few months now. And I think that's interesting that you can create a product that could bring people literally together. It, it's like, why would I go talk to this person? You know, I have nothing really right. in common with them. Uh, we're not from the same social background. We're not from this. We're not from that. But I'm going to go stop and say, where'd you get those? Or I got them too. How cool are they? You know, so right. that, that that's sort of like a, a, a company mission, a, a life mission is to create a product that can bring people together and make them feel that they're part of something bigger than I just bought a shoe. Shoes are commodities. Everyone has them, right. right? So how do you make a product that is so different that you'll get a stranger to stop and go, hey, we're cool because we're wearing that. Or, hey, we're cool because we look the same, you know? And right, right. We, look, we look different. We're, at, we're, we're part of this other community. We're not, we're not like these other people over here. I totally get what you're talking about because as you know, um, I have a really big passion for guys sneakers, which is totally random. And I, so Not I as random as you, as you think. <laughs> I know there's, there's a whole culture. You there. You're part um, of something big. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so when I see sneakers, uh, I see them as artwork. And, um, especially when I do find a sneaker, uh, for myself and, uh, which, which is rare, actually, like normally I just like guys sneakers, but when I find uh, an amazing mid top or high top, like for myself, I just want to like, and I'm walking down the street with my friend. I'm like, have you seen my sneaks? Like, have you, have you seen the colorway? Like, have you seen, have you seen how they look? Have you seen the back? Like, have you seen the inside? <laughs> like, it's like this artwork and every little detail is like this beautiful, thing to me. So when I, when I am walking down the street, I do feel like, you know, um, two people who have an appreciation for sneakers have that bond. And so I completely get what you mean. So you, you, you love Ben's sneakers. You love that. It's an actually a, a piece of artwork more than a commodity. And oh, yeah. I think, that, I think that that's how you have to look at, at shoes. Like if you, I can make sh- any shoe for anybody at any given time. I see it all the time when I'm out traveling. I do trend forecasting and travel. So if there's something popular, people can make it right away. It's a commodity. Hey, I can get these. These are like the new runner look, but I give them for you $10 cheaper than they can. You know, like that, that's, that's just using selling shoes as just a business model. It's a commodity. It's not art. I look at things as art, as, as I'm trying to relate to you. The person I'm trying to impress you, the actual sneaker connoisseur that's going to go, oh my gosh, look at this detail. Look at that detail. You know, right. um, I'll look at, I didn't even know that they put this here. They hid something. It's a stash pocket. They yeah. didn't even tell me. I was just you thinking know? about the stash pocket when you, you know? said that. Yeah. Right. And, and we were the first, one of the first companies, I believe I would actually say we were the first company, but I know that S did it with uh, Chad Muska at the same time because we had two similar pros that were in the same mind state. And this, the mind state was elevating your mind, meaning I want to stash, I need to stash something somewhere where I'm traveling. Right. And totally, sometimes totally. necessity leads to great ideas. So uh, <laughs> by necessity, these pros wanted to travel light. So they would stick stuff in the, the tongues of their shoes as a, like, right. a carrying case, right. you know, and that was totally. something new and different and kids were freaking out on it. You know, um, other details could be when you mentioned artwork, I actually worked with, I actually worked with artists to this day. OG Abel was one of the artists that we first worked with. I think he was our third canvas artist in canvas. 
uh, was an acronym creating artists. I'll, I'll break it down for you later, but it's an acronym for our, our art project. So we use artists and go, Hey, these are blank canvases. Do whatever you want. Like, we're not here to judge. Like, what's your take on how we should do this shoe? Right. Um, I would go, I worked with this artist, OG Abel, and I met him off the side of the freeway through a recommendation of a friend, Bobby Tribal. Um, from Tribal Streetwear. And he's like, OG Abel is one of the most talented artists I know. He likes you. Why don't you go talk to him and see what you could do? I met him on the side of a freeway at a little um, uh, Mexican restaurant. And I had all these Pantone books. I had all these materials. And I sat down with him. We just started talking. And he told me about how his brother was um, taken from this planet by a drive-by, like some violence. And how it really hurt him and how a lot of his artwork represents that day and, you know, death, life and death. And we were talking and I was so moved that he was one open to me about, you know, we've known each other, but not to the point where you'd open your, your life story and a lot of this right. deep stuff to me, like at a side of the road on the Mexican, at a Mexican restaurant. And I put all of my Pantone books away, my calipers and my materials. I was like, that story you just told me that passion I want that on the side of a shoe. Yeah. Right. And he's like, cool. So he, he did this mural, um, basically like, a, a, like an artist, any street artist would do on the side of the wall. We just stuck it on the side of a shoe and, you know, it had a skull with a fedora a girl with a gun. We had to, um, actually for the mall chain brands, we took right. the gun out and it was just her blowing smoke, but right. it really related it was so outside the box that we actually photoshopped it in catalog. Right, right. And it looks so good in Photoshop, but we couldn't we couldn't get that onto the product. So when you take a product, you bitmap it. So we had to actually figure out how to make it look that good that we did in Photoshop. Right, right. So we created a new a new printing process, which was digital printing. So it looked exactly like how it looked on a computer on a shoe. So that kid a lot of them, you know, um, in the hood and then later, um, in the malls, they actually saw this beautiful piece of artwork that actually told the story. Completely. If you actually looked at it and read it, you could see the story. And that was something new and outside the box. And that shoe just went Richter. And the cool thing about it was we didn't try to create a new product, a story and a conversation sitting with someone just real life turned into a product. Totally. And customer experience, that's what it is to you and to Osiris. It's emotionally connecting with a product uh, way beyond the physical shoe itself. It's having, it's having that re relatable experience to the story the shoe is telling. Right. You always want to make a product, in my opinion, that relates to a certain kid. You can't just create a shoe and just throw it out there and just say, Hey, hopefully people are going to come to it. Right. Like you need to know, you need to know your customer. You need to know where he goes where he shops, what music he likes, where he skates, you know, and you have East Coast, West Coast, you got Europe. So you always have to like try to figure out who this kid is and how you're going to make a product that relates to him, you know? And Definitely. For, for me, I like to stay on the move. So I can go to California. To me, it's, it's cool. You got skate parks and you got all these malls and stuff. But for me, everyone's product's already here. So I like to travel to Europe into bigger cities and just be out on the streets and just look at people just living life, you know, hopping on subways, hopping on trains, hopping on planes, going around the city. 
I like to see life in, in, in motion. I like to see that kid out and about and see who he is and what he's doing. That's how I try to stay relevant is to keep on the move and be out living life opposed to inside of an office trying to think about how I can move a couple lines around on a shoe and make a new product. I'm trying to make something Definitely. for someone. Definitely. Tell me more about, you mentioned before that uh, trend forecasting is a major part of how you spend your days and that you really do uh, go to Europe often. Tell me more about like, what is your lifestyle in Europe? How often do you go? And do you have a kind of process that you can share something publicly, yeah, <laughs> publicly sure. safe to share in your process of um, doing trend forecasting for not just people running apparel companies or fashion companies, but any company, something that they can do to stay relevant and really understand their customer more. So I personally like to travel. And as I just mentioned, being out, living life and sort of inserting yourself into a certain area and becoming that area is how I like to create new products. So I go to Europe for a month, month and a half. Luckily, my wife's from Europe, so I, I, I could stay there a lot longer than a lot of people do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and where in Europe do you go? Um, I go to Italy and Switzerland, but then I could hop to France, Germany, where else do I go? England. Once you're in Europe, you could easy jet your way around or take a train, a car, like it's such a smaller area than the United States. So you can get around to a lot of cool places pretty quick. I was actually in Rome and I had some friends traveling with me and they've, they've never been to Europe before. And they were like, where are you going? And I was like, uh, I'm going over to these stores over here. Cause I, I need to know what's inside that, that store. I need to know what kind of shoes are in there. There's some kind of treasure or gem or detail or profile. I need to know what it is. And they're like, okay, we're coming with you. And I'm like, no, because if you go down this street and make a left, you'll be at the forum. You'll be at the Colosseum, which was the center of the universe, of this planet, of this universe. It all came from this thing and you've never seen it before. I'm here because I love shoes. I clocked my, I, I made an iPhoto folder and I have 1200 pictures of shoes or shoe-related items or great ideas for shoes that came out of my trip. So I'm always in the stores looking for a detail, an embellishment, a profile. There's something out there. And people don't realize that. They're like, oh, you're in Europe for a month. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's Europe. And I know I'm there for a good amount of time. And yeah, I'm having a great time. But I'm looking at shoes. For example, when I'm in Italy, like I will break down and I will buy a different set of pants. I will rock shoes from that area that are popular or I think are cool. And I'll, I'll literally get into almost character, right? And then mm -hmm. I'll be rocking this stuff and see what I like, what I don't like about it, how I can make it uh, better, hipper, cooler, you know, maybe for my market. So then, right. and then I will literally design it in that country. So I think you're getting like the full flair and flavor and the passion because it's happening right now. It's like, I got Dude, the you're like, you're like an <laughs> Like you're straight up, you're not a shoe developer. You're an artist. I believe so. Yeah, for sure. I I'm definitely on artist time, uh, artist language. <laughs> I don't even understand myself sometimes, but I will get into character. I will break that shoe down in that spot. For example, I was just in Rome for a week with a friend, uh, Wheat, um, and Wheat's one of our new artists for our canvas project. And we right. would go out and skate till three, four in the morning. And we would skate the forum, uh, 
Coliseum. There's some like little downhill there and there's like, you know, the nightlife. And it's funny cause there's a bunch of lovers, you know, trying to make out. And then me and my friend are skating down the street, cobblestone, all da, 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 da. you know, everyone's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, we're having fun. We're skating, we're living life. And then boom, we go back to the, we got an Airbnb. So we had this like little design labyrinth. It was so awesome. This little design studio and it was all corridors and we get in there and we just start making shoes and he'd be like, Hey, what do you think about this? I'd say, that's cool. What do you think about this? This is awesome. And then next thing you know, I'm already sending it off to Asia. And by the time I get back from my trip, I already have a product sitting on my desk, like the first sample, you know, that's and then, so dope. You know, a couple nicks, nip and tucks here and there and, you know, change this, meet with some people and then, Hey, send it back. It's ready to go. So we get, we get to move fast too. And I think that's uh, a big part of being one creative and two, bringing a product that's relevant to life is you don't want it to come out in two years from now, you know? Right. And uh, luckily we have great partners like Zoomies, uh, Journeys, um, that really allow us to bring the now quick. And how, how are you able to stay so, so indie, <laughs> like, so just like cool and indie, like, uh, you know, almost like, yeah, this is like my thing when you are selling through journeys and like these different malls, like, but somehow you happy medium between an established seasoned brand and still staying totally relevant to the kid that is uh, going through his anarchy phase. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, I think one of the misconceptions of some of the bigger mall chains is that they're not risk takers and there, there is some truth behind, behind that at times, but a lot of times they're trying to relate to that 16 year old kid and he moves fast. So these bigger companies, they're out trend forecasting too. They're going to Agenda. They're going to Magic. They're going to Liberty and all these cool trade shows. There's plenty of them going around now, as you as you probably know. I met you at one, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So, I and love Agenda. Yeah. <laughs> some of those people that are running around there, they're you know like a lot of the, like like Zoomies. You couldn't tell the difference between a Zoomies guy from me. You know, like you're like, right. oh, you you actually have a, you're a buyer at a, at a shoe company. I would have never, never known. You look just totally. as cool. Yeah, I snowboard, I skate. Like, I think a lot of the people that had passion for their industry have moved up into these bigger chains, you know, cause journeys, for example, buyers are old skateboarders and ex DJs from Los Angeles. I think one of the biggest misconceptions of some of these bigger mall chains is that, uh, they're not cool and they're sort of corporate. And a lot of the buyers are cool. That's so, I didn't even know that. That's really, really interesting. But what is even more important to me than all of this together, and I've said this to you so many times, is that you're one of the most down to earth, sincere, you know, leaders uh, for business, not just apparel, just in general. And I think that that speaks volumes of how a brand can grow when you have, you know, someone at the top who has compassion and leads from the heart. And so how were you able to become such a strong business leader and, and still stay true to just being, you know, cool as hell, man, <laughs> like huh. super, super down to earth. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I think a lot of it was through necessity. So when we talked about Osiris being around for 20 years, um, you don't stay around for 20 years if you're a uh, quote unquote mean person. Can I say bad word? Yeah. A hole. You can say yeah. bad word. No. Yeah. no, but you know, like you, 
you know, and uh, Doug Weston and myself, Doug Weston's a VP of sales and operations and I'm VP of footwear and creative. So when we show up at a meeting, you know, with a bigger footwear company or a smaller footwear company, we, we listen to their buying team. We work with them. We get to talk um, and we can make decisions because we're the owners of the company. So for example, we go in and meet with journeys and they say, Hey, we want this color. And I'm like, that color is cool, but it's a little risky. Can we do this or that? This is just an example. And we work together on creating product together and we can make that, we can make that decision right on the spot. Some color didn't work really good. And there has to be a write down dollar or something like Doug can make that decision with me right then, right there. And it's like satisfaction of working with an owner opposed to, Hey, here's a sales guy. He's really hot. He came from Nike and Adidas and et cetera. Oh, a month later, he moved on to Reebok because he didn't like the skateboard industry. Or a lot of times companies are selling products and they're just hiring people and they're not, you're not getting the, the person behind the brand. You're just getting a brand. Right, right. And I think that makes a big difference. Huge. I, I firmly believe that we do business with people, not with brands. And so in just like even talking to you and and really being excited about you being on the podcast, it, what excites me is the human behind the brand of Osiris, not just Osiris, the brand, right? And when someone's calling a brand like I am, you know, XYZ company calling XYZ company and you don't have that human to human connection, how can business get done? Because there's a person behind that, uh, right. that label. <laughs> Agreed. And, you know, uh, and through the honeymoon period, you know, like I hate to say this, but I, I think I was so caught up in having uh, a brand new brand and being noticed and, creating this whole new product. And, you know, we were literally the, the hot, you know, the hottest, the hottest ticket in town in the country. And then we're going right. international. So I think um, that I don't want to say it went to my head, but I will definitely say that after the money, I'm uh, sorry, the, that's a 40 and slip after the money <laughs> or the honeymoon period, when that slows down a little bit, like then you're, once your product's not as hot as that, you know, like everything, runs in cycles. You're hot, then you have to rework it, then you're not, then you're hot again. Like, you know, it's a lot of the flavor of the month and new brands are coming in. So I felt like I needed to make sure that I stayed grounded as well. And, you know, not being the hottest shoe company on the street for that year or two years or three years. Like I really had to learn a lot about myself and work with um, our vendors and our our partners in footwear, like, Hey, like, yeah, we're a little bit on the back to the selling sheet right now, but Hey, we're still the same great people you've always worked with and let's get this back on track. And then boom, we've come back, you know, like we, we've always reinvented ourselves. And I think we've done that by having a great team behind us, not only within, within our own and our company, but outside our company at other companies, like having people believe in us and know that we sold like millions of the D3 and then the Able, and then we had the high top. Everyone knows that we're going to hit a home run and they work with us to get through maybe the the low that we're going through. Because once you hit a home run, after that party's over, people are looking for the next party, you know? Right. And, uh, And sometimes your product was so popular that it almost creates a lashback in a certain totally. way. Totally. 
you know. Oh, so I mean, cl- the club business goes through this. Uh, the same exact club will completely remodel and change their club name because they became so hot that no one wants, no one wants to go there anymore because then it becomes mainstream right after it becomes hot. So you have to reinvent yourself to be cool and new again. <laughs> right, and uh, and and fortunately for us, we we get to work with product and you know marketing. We get to we get to tell a message and get it out there. And I think we've done a great job over twenty years of not only reinventing the shoes that we make, but also being able to tell the message of who we are and what we're about. And it, and it, and it does change over 20 years. We're, we're not the same, uh, hip hop. We started off more of a hip hop company. And then now I think we're more all inclusive. We have mm-hmm. shoes for hardcore skate. We have shoes for the mall. We have like shoes for a lot of different people. It's almost for a, like a motley crew of people, but right. each, each product within that, is true to that person. When we make a shoe for the kid in the mall, we, we know that kid, we know what he's looking for. So we make it that fresh for him. For the skater, we know he wants comfort. We know he wants simplicity. Less is more. I want some suede on the toe. Like we make sure to give him the exact product he's looking for. So although we, we have a bunch of different products within our product offering, they're all true to the people that consume it. Definitely. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Reed, for taking time to hang out with the Hello Customer podcast. You're an absolute inspiration and I'm really grateful for your time and for getting to know you these past few weeks as we've been preparing for this episode. Um, any final thoughts that uh, that we kind of left out of the conversation? Um, well, first of all, thank you. I, I really enjoyed meeting you. I, I, I'm very honored to be a part of this and get to tell the Osiris message. We're coming up on 20 years and I hope we got 20 more to come. This has been a Hello Customer production. Get immersed into the psychology of effective customer experience on our blog, mycustomer.com. 